Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, or whatever time you've decided to listen to this. Welcome to the WrestleZone Radio Network here on IRWNetwork.com and also on iTunes via SoundCloud. Uh, this is not a test, this is not a drill, this is the SmackDown Rebellion going over one of the shows leading into Hell in a Cell, a real kickoff show to lead into the main angles for Hell in a Cell. I am your host this week, Matt Ryan from Capital Wrestling. And well, this week, I, I've got a co-host. And well, it's the other guy from Capital Wrestling, my co-creator, my longtime close personal friend, and the guy I talk wrestling with more than pretty much anybody, Marcus K. Dowling. Hey, pal. Hey, what's going on? Nothing much, so... We both watched SmackDown in completely different ways tonight. Uh, I, I watched it eating Wendy's like a good Jim Cornette wannabe, and you were watching it inside a government building inside our nation's capital. So th- that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I do some work with the uh, off-skit television, film, music, and entertainment with the DC government. We were having a celebration tonight of the kickoff of our new uh, DC Radio HD network, and I was watching the first... 30 to 45 minutes of SmackDown next to uh, famous rappers and R&B singers who also happen to be wrestling fans. And, that, and very close, didn't include in wrestling fans, which was the fascinating part of the whole shooting match. <laughs> so, we basically started this week's episode with a recap of Vince McMahon getting that hard way, brother. Uh, getting his... Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I, I, I'll say this, like, um, in an era where concussions and, you know, uh, Shibata and New Japan occur, uh, if Vince McMahon wants to do the same thing himself, well, I guess that's bully for him, but I think he's at a point where he's looking at, you know, like, I think the big thing with the company right now is that the list and they're doing well everywhere else around the world doing well with the network and that's hitting the numbers it's supposed to hit. But the only thing that's missing is, curiously enough, like the North American live show experience. And that's what they're trying to double down on now, finally. And, you know, Las Vegas last week and decided it was time to golf. And everything that's involved himself, you should be aware of it. I mean, like, I'm speaking like in... Colloquial, not just you, Matt, but everybody should be aware that like something grossly wrong with the company, in some creative sense, where Vince feels like he, because he owns this thing, decides I am going to invest myself in where this company is headed, and that's what he did. Good, bad, and different. That's a whole other conversation, but that's what he did. Yeah, and it's really interesting to see Vince at this stage of the WWE talking about that live event audience, looking to build up those live events. Marcus and I know about promoting and developing live events, and the weird Kobayashi Maru you get into for you Star Trek fans, it's a no-win situation sometimes when you're promoting a television product like we do at Capital Wrestling every single week here on the IRW Network and also on GFQ Live. And then your live event business, which is basically how you pay, if you don't have a television deal, for your television. You pay it with tickets, you pay it with sponsors, you pay it based off the backs of your audience. And while the WWE isn't hurting for audience, and I saw saw somebody today complaining about the ratings 
Uh, Shane McMahon came out in the opening segment. Just to get this part out of the way, you know, the A segment, the beginning segment of the show, Shane McMahon basically says he's condemning Kevin Owens to hell in a cell. That is the big match inside the cage. Shane McMahon going to fall off of something big. Kevin Owens is going to go through some stuff. And basically, violence will be commencing at Hell in a Cell next month. But to the people that are worrying and concerning themselves with ratings, as someone who worked for a company that did data in my day-to-day life uh, for television, the way that ratings are constructed and the way that media is now and the way that we look at data when it comes to digital media and traditional broadcast media is continuously changing. And if we're predicating it off of a sample size that is not necessarily an accurate aggregate, and I'm sorry for the polysyllabic words here, people, but yeah. it, it's it's not a fair ad- assessment. If we look at the YouTube viewing, if we look at the merchandise sales, that's more of an accurate assessment of how people are watching and who's watching every single week, especially if we looked at Hulu numbers, YouTube numbers, network numbers, etc. But Shane McMahon cutting a solid promo, um, a good way to start off the show and basically lead into the fact that it will be Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon at No Mercy. I I always look forward to the Shane McMahon fall-through stuff, uh, 80-20 schmazes that uh, usually occur two or three times a year. He had a great match with AJ at WrestleMania. They're putting him, they're putting him with guys that they trust and putting... Shane in situations where that McMahon dust, that McMahon magic can be transferred onto guys that they really are investing in. We're seeing it with AJ. We're seeing it with Kevin Owens. And I think that, you know, this is going to be a pretty big move for Kevin Owens, obviously being the second Universal Champion. His run on SmackDown, his feud with AJ Styles. That withstanding, when you're against a McMahon and you wrestle a McMahon, that is still a big deal in the WWE. I'll, I'll say this. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, Kevin Owens in the main event at WrestleMania. Just it's my belief that he's got it. He's always had it, and um, he's now. I mean, for people who are fans of Ring of Honor, he's kind of like rehashing his greatest hits from 2007, 2008 era, 2009 when it was with Jimmy Jacobs and Steve Carino and diving into what it means to be evil. And he's kind of like rehashing this in World Wrestling. And this is not a thing that is to this era. Um, in the territorial era of uh, pro wrestling in the, in the 80s when Vince started to close a lot of territories, he would oftentimes go to talents that he was bringing in and he would have them rehash things that they had done on a smaller stage because Vince was correct in believing and knowing that fans on his much larger stage were completely unaware of the money, that, of the angles that had taken place and the things that had been done in order for these stars to make their name. And putting Kevin in a situation where he can do with Shane McMahon what he did with El Generico and, you know, what he did with Dunkernet and all of the situations that made his star what it is. Being able to work with talents who can do a lot more uh, from a 
storyline and also just a, you know, mainstream of its perspective. I think that really speaks to where Kevin easily end up in a situation where he is easily in the main event of WrestleMania fighting either Rosh Roman or, uh, you know, someone like an AJ or someone like a Nakamura or someone like even a gender. He can go baby or heal this way. He's so hot right now. He's had for two years. And the people are invested. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I do believe that Kevin Owens is one of those undeniable, easily defined top guys. He is someone who's connected with this audience. Ever since coming onto the main roster, had a great NXT run. But when you look at Kevin Owens' body of work, I tr- don't really look at the NXT stuff. I look at when he walked out on Raw and beat up John Cena. That, to me, set the pace for what they believe to be probably one of the guys that will be carrying this company for the next three to five years, along with an AJ Styles, along with a lot of the members of this roster. And we go to our first match of the evening, the Drama King and it is Aiden English against Randy Orton in our opening contest. And Aiden English putting in a little bit of work here. It was a strong match for Aiden English, showcasing a lot of his skills and getting a little bit over on Randy Orton. I almost started talking about, I almost was going to make a comparison if Aiden English won. I was going to yell out Mulky Mania at some point tonight. But <laughs> Randy Orton getting the win. And then Rusev comes out. Uh, talking about how his family's ashamed, his family's disgraced because he lost in 10 seconds at SummerSlam. And then Rusev wins! Rusev wins! Rusev mania going wild in Oakland. The Raiders beat the Jets. Rusev beat Randy Orton. All is right in Oaktown tonight. Marcus, what do you think of uh, Aiden English, Randy Orton, Rusev, this Weird pseudo-Mormon marriage going into the first match of the night. Yeah, well, I'll say that um, Aiden English has been a top guy since NXT. Um, It's one of those things where when they started to bring in the super indie guys to NXT, and NXT shifted from being kind of like this regional-esque third promotion for WWE to being, well, Ring of Honor, for lack of a better term. Um, a guy like Aiden English got caught up in the in the undertow, and they put him with Simon Gage, and they and and the tag team worked. It was a good working tag team. In 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 concept and presentation, and that just speaks to the fact that Aiden English knows what he's doing. You know, he's always even when he was in NXT, and that was just they were doing the regional thing, and it was much more of kind of like a smaller Triple H booked, like simpler promotion. He was a top guy there. So to see him in this situation, um, I think it's one of those things where we, we'll talk about this numerous times on this, this podcast, uh, the idea that they're rebooking large parts of the territory right now in SmackDown. Like, they're shuffling things up. They're guys that they know who are good hands, and they're giving, and they're putting the show, and this is something that, that people should just be aware of in a couple of weeks, they're putting the show in the hands of good hands, of guys who know the job, and can get the thing done. Uh, there was a, a run here for a couple of months on SmackDown where, you know, because of their desire to push into the Indian submarket, they, you know, put Jinder Mahal on top. Uh, they pushed Baron Corbin as having the briefcase. 
Uh, they, they give a lot of guys time who don't necessarily have the same kind of like competence and not to say they're bad workers or whatever, but they're just not competent in knowing all the parts of the job. Like, and that's where you're starting to see now with a guy like Ian English going in with Randy Orton, who's the king, by the way, of guys who get over and have long established amazing careers just because they know the job better than probably anybody else has ever known the job in the history of business. Uh, Rusev is another one of those guys who just knows what to do. Like, he understands the ins and outs and the outs and ends. And so, he both of those, married with a guy like Randy, they'll probably together in some sort of, you know, permutations of matches for the next couple of weeks, like, like three way I had to um, speaks to the notion of the fact that they know that wrestling fans into the day like wrestling. And if you go to a wrestling show, you want to have a good wrestling match on the show. Any two of those three guys in the team, you can do that. And we can attest to this too with our experiences with Capital. You and I both, as the you know producers, writers, uh, guys who pick up the catering from the deli, we know about structuring and long-term booking and developing a roster and looking at all the component pieces. Because when you're putting together a TV show, when you're putting together a live event, you look at the component pieces of what you have, you look at what works, what can work, and how you can put that story together. And you basically build a, a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I know I'm getting way too sociological and psychological with a Maslow's hierarchy of needs reference on a wrestling podcast. I love it. I love it, though. I feel True. like I feel like Dennis Miller at varying points through this freaking thing. Uh, well, now on Monday Night Football, even I love it. <laughs> oh God, does that make you Dan Fouts? <laughs> oh yeah, Phil God. That, that I think that makes Hausman Al Michaels. He's the true winner of all this. Hi, Nick. <laughs> but when you're looking at a card and you're building all this stuff out, it's those little things. It's those Rusevs. It's the Aiden Englishes. Those are the guys that over time will get over more than you expect. And an easy example of that for the Capital roster, and we're not going to make it about Capital Wrestling, guys, but just something that's easily transferable that we can relate to, Mike Law, a guy on our roster. Exactly. The, the current... Mike's years in, and he just knows how to do everything. And, and, and to get back to SmackDown, SmackDown right now is in a weird situation because when they did the brand split, and if you look at the, the, the brand split in retrospect, SmackDown has all of these guys who just know what to do. From Mike Bennett, Sami Zayn, to Shinsuke Nakamura as a top guy. Everybody just knows what to do. You put any combination of people on the SmackDown roster in the ring, the match is going to be good. It's one of those things when you have a show like SmackDown that has so many guys that you're trying to make who are green to the idea of wrestling on television. You know you need people around who get the job done. That's simple. On any level, from top to bottom of the show, any of those guys could be the top guy, any of those guys could be the bottom guy, any of those guys can work in the mid-card. And, and, and I think that's the fact that those guys that do that are getting the pushes right now speaks to maybe, maybe SmackDown 
getting back to what it was originally supposed to be when the brands were split. I I agree. I think that the writing staff to producing staff are starting to recognize that. And we move into our next segment here. And this one, whew, um, you ever go to an open mic at a comedy club and you see a guy when he goes up on stage if for if if you after this podcast after you listen to me and Marcus drone on about pro wrestling type in Pat Oswalt Dr Pepper type, <laughs> type that in and that is how I feel about the Jinder Mahal promo I get as a promo guy we get it we get what he's trying to go for but the audience is too afraid to give him the heat he wants or the heat that the WWE thinks he needs. They're afraid to go there even though he's, you know, a Canadian who's of Indian and Punjab descent cutting this promo on a Japanese, Japanese guy. And it's it's, it's continental. Awkward. It's fucking continental. I know you understand this, Matt. Any segment with Jinder Mahal is specifically not meant for the North American viewing audience. Yeah. Specifically, almost like to the T. Like they, they've gone to the level now of the Japanese name and the you, you broke up. A, you're breaking up. You're breaking up, pal. that first through the door mentality you see this in any artistic platform or any type of regional expansion those growing pains are most certainly going to be there you're not always going to get Hogan coming out during the TV tapings and stopping the Samoans from beating up Bob Backlund you're not going to get that every single time you're not going to get Lex Luger walking out at the Mall of America. You're going to get those lumps. You're going to get those dropped beats every once in a while. 
But I think in the long term, if they're going to put the belt on Nakamura, there's nobody better to put it to take it off of than Jinder Mahal because you're setting the bar for Shinsuke Nakamura to the point where the audience is ready to accept him. Because Jinder Mahal, as a champion, has been successful. I will say that. But as the face of a brand, he is not there yet. He is not where he wants to be. And and that's not his fault. No, he is doing the best with what he's been given. It's a slapdash situation. Like, and you get the sense that Vince was like, okay, get in the gym, sir. I need you to look like Indian Superman. Why? Because you're going to be the champion. Oh. And they put the belt on him, and then immediately they're like, we need heaters for this man. Do we know any Indian women? No. Oh my God, the Singh brothers are in NXT. They're great. And they have a heater. And then all of them kind of piecemeal. And they brought in Kali at the the Punjabi prison match. And it's all been very piecemeal. And if there's any one thing I would love to see them do far past this, is to be able to keep this group together and let them learn how to get North American-style heat for their very non-North American-specific gimmick. Because I think that there's money in Jinder Mahal, if not as the world champion necessarily, but as a guy to get a guy to that level, I could see him having a very long career in WWE. I agree as well. And uh, speaking of a guy with a long career in WWE ahead of him, AJ Styles, um, guy who just, you know, randomly shows up to an NWA Anarchy uh, reunion show. (laughs) Hanging out with Jeff Key Bailey, an iceberg, and, you know, tank the no-pain train. (laughs) He he cut a top guy Georgia 1980 promo. His promo tonight reminded me of those promos you watch if you look up pop, I think it's Pop Culture Stew on YouTube, when you look up the big turn of 1980. When Ole Anderson turned on Dusty Rhodes in the cage and everybody in Georgia Championship Wrestling is explaining what happened and their feelings on it. And AJ Styles, a guy who feuded with Shane McMahon and a guy who feuded with Kevin Owens, the guy, basically the linchpin to that feud, giving his reasoning and explaining why Kevin Owens screwed up is a reason why he's a top guy. And he goes into his match with Baron Corbin, whose new theme music actually fits him. His new look actually fits him. They get a little bit of a match going, and then, much like every other territory, Perfect 10 Ty Dillinger comes out and lays down a whooping on on Baron Corbin. A lot of multi-layered, multi-personality feuds. Um, I like that Ty Dillinger is in the loop here. I like that Baron Corbin continues to be the chicken shite heel that he needs to be. Even though he's a big, tall guy, he doesn't have the, and this is just my opinion, he doesn't have the skill set as a wrestler to do big man scary things, 
but he can do the I'm tall, I could be a bully, but still duck my head outside the rope okay. tactic. I'll, I'll, explain, I'll explain this. This is like uh, a thing I feel very passionate about when it comes to Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin, okay, so there's a long list of great big men wrestlers that goes back to like Don Leo Jonathan and the spoiler to like Mark Calloway to Kane to Luke Harper to the end of the line. You know, you put those big shows running there to be somewhere in there because he learned how to be a big man in there to be. Aaron Corbin's the first guy who's gotten a push on national television as a man over six foot eight inches tall who never had a giant person actually be able to get into the ring with him and teach him that job. He was the tallest so guy on NXT. Like, he was like a little man. Yeah. And that's the problem. He has no idea how big he is, which is one of the most important parts about being a big man, especially in a big man territory like WWE, where it's like you have to tall. And you have to know what his story means. And you have to know the moves that you can do and the moves you can't do and why you do these moves. And you have to understand your psychology to a level that like, he doesn't get that. So he's like on this show and wrestling these matches and just wrestling. Like for the first year of Baron Corbin's career on broadcast television, like every single week on SmackDown, he's been wrestling. And not wrestling in a way that like fits with any sort of big man narrative. And he's now being put into a feud but around not necessarily being a big man, but just being a good heel. And I think that there's money in him being a good heel in like the same way that like a guy like Test evolved eventually just being a solid heel. Not like a guy who's going to set the world on fire and become the world heavyweight champion 37 times over, but just solid guy on the show. And when he walks through the curtain, you're like, I don't like that guy. He, and he, for Ty, yeah, for Ty, Ty's getting the rub of like learning how to like begin over face, which is a very difficult job to do in this generation, and also to do in WWE, where being an over face requires the company to like put the rocket on you. And Ty doesn't have a rocket anywhere near him right now, and he's he's surviving because he's a guy who just. He has that it factor. He's got the perfect 10. Like, he's got the component parts that make a superstar. He's got the little things that make somebody come across as unique, as different. And it's all just there. He's one of the guys that was able easily to repurpose his NXT persona into the WWE. That's one of the things that a lot of people do not get about the transition from NXT to WWE. You need to understand it's like coming from the independent scene to basically the WWE cold because the amount of people you think watch NXT every week that watch Raw and SmackDown is a smaller number than you would think. The crossover audience obviously is there, but when you look at the amount of people that are subscribed to the network, aggregated by the fact that X amount of them watch NXT. I think maybe 60% of subs watch NXT on a regular basis. 
So that's right. 40% of the network audience that doesn't watch NXT frequently. And then the WWE's audience is about, if you were talking number to number, about less than half of the Raw and SmackDown audience. And then even that, you don't you don't you don't know if half of the if that million, two million subscribers are watching Raw and SmackDown every week. You can't you can't figure that part out. And you're going off of that right. aggregate average. So it's it's conditioning. It's audience conditioning. We deal with it all the time. You have so much time and so little resources to put in to you've got 120 minutes a week if you're SmackDown. And you need to condition your audience to current storylines, who's the champion, all these other, and I keep saying component parts, but it's true. All these different parts, all of these different partitions that you got to create within 120 minutes, and that's, you know, including commercials and the new picture-in-picture model that the WWE does on SmackDown, you have a finite amount of time to get all these characters over to your television audience, to your digital and web audience, you've got all freaking day. You can do whatever you want because it's readily accessible. The people that are watching USA. Yeah, and I think there's a thing that people also don't get with, like, live crowds. Like, I went to Raw about two months ago. And if you don't captivate the people with it, and if you're brand new, so brand consider brand new to be you're on TV for six months. If you don't do anything within like the first thirty seconds as like a new character within like your first like three or four months, you're you're dead in the water. And understand that the only thing that anybody knew about Ty Dillinger was that people inexplicably screamed the word ten. When he walked through the curtain that's not enough to make you a top guy at all, or it may, it's not even enough to get you a spot on the show outside of that pop for that one part of your entrance. Like, there's nothing about Ty Dillinger that says, wrestler that I want to see beat someone. Which is one of, like, the saddest parts about the guy getting that over in NXT, which, again, is a product that is seen by a, a significant minimal, like, significantly minimal part of a larger brand audience and the thing with a guy like Ty is that you have to let him wrestle for him to like gain that like brand loyalty from people who watch the show every week and they're finally letting him do it and and I think that's a good thing I only speaks well for him because he knows how to work and he can get past the fact that like the crowd likes screaming tin at him <laughs> which is like minimal at best as far as like giving you a chance to like really grow in that company all right, well, let's get kicking in the overdrive here. We have the, uh, hey, everybody on the SmackDown women's roster doesn't have a match yet tonight, so let's find ourselves a number one contender. They set it up here with Natalia unveiling a photo of herself and comparing herself to Amelia Earhart. Was a little little um, familiar to some stuff we do over at Capital Wrestling. Um, just going to just gonna put that out of the universe. Uh, yeah, 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 it's, you know. Yeah, we we we, we <laughs> just like not have But I, I I loved I loved this segment because Natty is such a great heel. And 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 and, and the thing about okay, so I watched the women. It's funny. I watched the women's match on the network today from Super Clash Two between Medusa and Sherry Martell. That was it's it's like 
15 minutes long and you, you find it on the network, you'll, you'll be happy you did. The thing that makes Natty great is that she is a great heel from 1975. Like grandstanding and annoying and just stupid and cloying and you just want to beat her up yourself if you could. And that's like, we've gotten to this era where we don't present women's wrestlers in a sense of people that everybody wants to assault insofar as like the heels go. Like nobody's willing to get that heat because everybody is like, I must be a good wrestler. And that must be a significant part of my presentation because, you know, I mean, this is, and it speaks to like the notion of like progressive women's rights and where we're headed with that. And it's funny to see like Natty kind of like stand against all of that. And, and a woman who men in the crowd would happily want to beat up, which is this like wacky, bizarre, crazy thing to do in 2017. say marcus wait wait so being a compelling antagonist is a good thing in professional wrestling what it's the best thing to be in professional wrestling what which natty is there were there were in 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 one angle on television tonight there was one heel and five baby faces in the ring one heel one five baby faces that is a weird thought. Yeah, that's odd. That's odd. I'm not a fan of that. It's a little, a little silly to me. But uh, yeah. But when we move on here on SmackDown, it was the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Champions, The New Day, going up against the Hype Bros. Hype Bros go under. When we come back from break, we see the Hype Bros. Uh, not not happy. They don't want to lose anymore. They're really tipping this potential heel turn here. I, I think that's the right thing to do. We were just talking about the lack of heels. There are a lack of heels in the SmackDown tag division because the Usos, even though they are great antagonists to the New Day, they are over to the audience as baby faces because this character change was really refreshing to the audience and to me. I really do enjoy it. Uh, their theme song makes me want to start a fist fight. Uh, it's, it's that good. And it, it's hard to boo guys that are talented and entertaining. That's why the New Day turns so quickly. That's why guys like The Undertaker couldn't be heels for that long because they were so compelling and entertaining and you didn't have a reason to hate them. You don't have a reason to hate them. The I'm Usos. Gonna, I'm gonna make a, make a, 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 a quick point about um, the key to the Usos is that they are believable in the way that Roman Reigns, their shoot cousin, is not believable. Like, that's what makes the Usos work, is that they are completely believable in everything they do. And it took them a long time to get there. And it's funny, now that they're heels, they're actually a hundred times more believable. And 
probably going to wrestle the New Day for like another year because of this. Because the team that they wrestled the best, and this is similar to like Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys in the same way, are the New Day, who, by the way, proved that you can do so much less and get so much more out of doing so much less. Because when they started that whole New Day thing, they had like 37 high spots. But they have like four. <laughs> and it's all just selling from there. And I'm just like, that, that's beautiful. Like, I watched that match tonight. And I was like, man, I could, I could watch those two teams go back and forth for a long time. It'll be great. It'll be great every time. I wholeheartedly agree. I want them to. I want them to be all rock and roll in midnights. Just let them fight forever. Just, just yeah, switch them. Switch them, healing baby. So put them in masks. You know, put Xavier Woods in a shark cage. I could give a damn. Uh, I just, I, I enjoy watching them work. Kevin. Speaking of people we like watching work, uh, we made we highlighted Kevin Owens earlier, but they did his via satellite interview. Uh, Kevin Owens looking like the meanest dad at a PTA meeting. <laughs> and uh, when I when I worked for uh, Ring of Honor, when I first auditioned in 2011, I want to say, it's right when Kevin Steen was reinstated to Ring of Honor. This is right after Final Battle. And we're in the Dewburns Arena in Baltimore where they were filming television. And the first person I'm ever supposed to interview is Kevin Owens. And that is dark, evil Kevin Owens. And the end of the promo, back on the old ROH video wire, this never made air, at least not to my recollection, it was me interviewing him under a staircase, and he made me listen to what was on his iPod. And it was the cries of screaming children. That was a taste of the Kevin Owens we got tonight. And I am excited to uh, see them allow this side of Kevin Owens. The Kevin Owens that was basically the thing that carried Ring of Honor for, what, 18 months? Yeah. What, whether it was against Cornette. Same or, thing in WWE. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say this as well. I've been, since we've been doing this podcast, I've been thinking more about it. And the guy to get rid of Brock Lesnar from WWE should be that Kevin Owens. Him, him threatening Paul Heyman. Him just showing up on Raw the night after the Royal Rumble. You have Kevin Owens be the last man eliminated from the Royal Rumble, and it's either AJ or Shinsuke Nakamura... Uh, or even, you know, a Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, they eliminate Kevin Owens. So the main event of WrestleMania was taken away from Kevin Owens. But Paul Heyman has said the main event of any show is the match that Brock Lesnar's in. The next the next night on Raw, he comes out, he brings the fight to, he just basically back jumps Brock Lesnar, pummels Heyman, Point, looks at the sign, you fade the black, and then you can tell the story for the next three to four months, all based around that one moment. That one moment you can show on television every single week, from Royal Rumble to WrestleMania, and its impact will continue to resonate, and that's the only time you allow them to touch, 
and Lesnar is waiting for his revenge, but you have him slip on the banana peel, something happens, Lesnar loses focus, Owens gets the win, and there you have your next generation defining heel. Yeah, I mean, and, and also I want to shout out the fact that Jimmy Jacobs and Steve Carino all were in Kevin Owens' stable in Ring of Honor, and they all work in WWE now. So it always helps in wrestling to have friends who know what you do best, just kind of hanging out. Also, Adam Pierce. <laughs> Adam Pierce is one of the guys that basically like opened the door for Kevin Kevin Owens or Kevin Steen, whatever you prefer, when he yeah, was the oh, booker oh, of Ring of Honor. Blue Stocks friends from last week on SmackDown. <laughs> <laughs> The janitor from South Park. Shout out for, the, shout out for the, the shirt match on, on uh, Scrap Iron Adam <laughs> But yeah, this was a great promo, great segment from Kevin Owens. And uh, a quick shout out from SmackDown tonight. Shout out for the fact that John Ace's theme song, the, the SmackDown vs. Raw video game team. <laughs> Kickstart my heart. Johnny Johnny Ace, star of Total Bellas on E. Yeah. I was so happy. I, when I realized what it was, I was like, oh my Jesus, that's, that's the best. Either that's a great rib or a great tribute. I'm not quite sure yet. Either way, it's wonderful. Uh, then we had the Dolph Ziggler segment, the Rule of Threes, uh, this week with uh, the uh, with the Degeneration X plotting. Uh, basically calling out the the two dads of NXT at the moment. And this is obviously going towards Bobby Roode and uh, Dolph Ziggler. And uh, that match was announced for Starcade. I'm just going to say it right now. We are 42 minutes into this, and we have not mentioned the fact that they're bringing back Starcade. Man, I'm telling you, like, the fact that you're doing this speaks to the fact that, I mean... There's an influence of Triple H on all of TV right now, on both shows, in the sense that if you look at creatively across all of, all of brands of WWE right now, you have like all of these like old school fans of a certain age range who, have, who are now people with power. And people who can just make things happen at the snap of a finger. And I'm sure that they're looking at Greensboro, North Carolina, for November 25th, and somebody in the office just screaming, Starcade! <laughs> because these dates are booked way far out. You oh, know, yeah. they, like, you know, like you just said, it goes to a hop. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, we're doing this, this, day, this, day, this, day. When you get the... Greensboro on November I'm sure somebody just screamed out, we should do Starcade. And and I will say this now. If I am not at the Greensboro Coliseum for Starcade, and y'all don't put this on the WWE network, I'm gonna be mad. I will I be I mean, you know Starcade will be on the network. hundred and ten percent. It will be on the network. It will be epic. Uh, they may have reached out to Cody Rhodes to come back to team with Gold Dust. You, Which I think is great, and I think that Cody will probably do it. And it's, if it's against the Hardys, it's probably, you know, that's what goes on last. Two steel cage matches uh, for the women's yeah. title. And uh, transitioning 
uh, into the women's title. The Fatal 4-Way to decide the number one contender at Hell in a Cell. Uh, Charlotte came away with the win. A really good match here showcasing all four women's unique athleticism. Each of them have obviously different traits, but I like the SmackDown women's roster. I also like the fact that Asuka's not on SmackDown because you keep Charlotte and you keep Asuka away from each other from as long as humanly possible because that's WrestleMania's main event in 2019, folks. Right, like, I mean, and, and to be, and it's, it's weird because, okay, so we're at this point now where, like, women's wrestling is ultra-compelling and you have, like, actual defined stories. Like, it's funny, like, it took us two years after the women's revolution to finally get, like, all the things we wanted from the initial women's revolution. Like, you have, like, there's, like, nuanced, compelling storytelling on, on SmackDown. Like, when everybody walked through the ring, you're like, okay, this person has an issue with this person. That person has an issue with this person. This person has had issues with this person and this person in the past. And it was it was really fun to watch. It's kind of, like, a great thing to, like, look at and say, okay, we've gone this far with women's wrestling. And the spot that got me in that match was the, the moonsault on the two people by Charlotte. Because Charlotte just does stuff, like, athletically in the ring that makes you, like, really appreciate how gifted she is just as a performer. Like, and I don't think we've had with Charlotte yet until she gets in the ring with Asuka at WrestleMania next year. Somebody who can, like, push her athleticism to another level. So it's like the stuff you see, while it's great, you're like, man... If there was somebody in this match or somebody at any point who could, like, stand across from Charlotte and, like, actually, like, really challenge her, then, like, the level of this match was great. But there's another level that, like, she has and I think that a few other women on that roster in that match have that we haven't seen yet. So it was fascinating because you're like, man, Women's Revolution doing a great thing. But also it's a promise of, like, what else exists. And now you get these women that are coming in now from the Mae Young you know, people like Kari Sane, people like Baszler, like Tony Storm, people like Piper Niven, who have unique physical gifts and talents that can actually, like, take this thing to another level. I wholeheartedly agree. It's going to be an interesting road for the women's division, and it's an interesting road here on WrestleZone Radio this Sunday night. I will be a part of the No Mercy recap, along with Kid Cadet, who... Weirdly enough, went to junior high school with my girlfriend, which is an odd note. Uh, also, I'll be the guest on the Raw after oh, show. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Raw Rebellion. Go um, Braun, go. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> go Braun, go. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck to this like a child in like when I was like a child in grade. I'm ready for this this pay per view. I want to see the two big men punch and beat each other senseless. Can that just be the whole three hours? I'll be fine if that entire pay-per-view is basically those two reenacting the video game Rampage. That's what I want from my life. <laughs> I'm down for it. I'm totally down for it. I'll, 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 even, go, I'll even take backstage assault. <laughs> oh, God. Don't don't you mention that. How dare you? How, how dare you? You're fired. <laughs> Uh, this is also airing on the IRW Network. Sign up to the IRWnetwork.com. Right now, you will get exclusive content from Bischoff on Wrestling, including the Bischoff on Wrestling overrun, including the episode I'm featured on, and the episode where Eric Bischoff and Nick Hausman do a review of Capital Wrestling. That's Capital Wrestling's episode 18. 
And the episode that pays off episode 18 aired this week on Capital Wrestling, Capital Wrestling episode number 24, which you can watch for free anytime, anyplace, anywhere at irwnetwork.com. You can follow Marcus Dowling on all forms of social media at Marcus K. Dowling. That is Marcus K. Dowling. You can follow me on the Twitter machine at I'm Matt Ryan, the letter I, the letter M, Matt Ryan. You can follow my alter ego at M Ryan Shapiro. You can buy my stuff at Pro Wrestling Tees. That guy's a jerk. He, he is a jerk, and you'll see a video from him coming out today on Wednesday uh, making a reference to Del Shannon and Del Shannon suicide because that's what you do in wrestling promos. You quote the guy that did The Wanderer. Uh, little Runaway, sorry, Little Runaway. And you can watch... Well, Marcus and I not only are close friends and people who like to talk wrestling with each other, but we put our money where our mouth is. We operate Capital Wrestling every single week here on the IRW Network. And also, we return to Hoboken. That's right. We tape our television right 10 minutes away, away from the heart of New York City with a double main event featuring Sonny Kiss taking on Logan Easton LaRue. Anthony Gangone taking on Matt McIntosh, and we crown our first ever Capital Wrestling Champion on Saturday night, October 14th. Special bell time of 8 p.m. Doors open at 7 p.m. Not a minute more, not a minute less. Tickets start at only $20. It's Eric Bischoff's 87th favorite wrestling promotion, and let it be yours as well. Order your tickets now at tinyurl.com slash capital four. That's capital with the numeral, numeral letters, I-V. Keep the A out of capital. That's tinyurl.com slash capital IV. Marcus, thank you so much for talking wrestling with well, ta- talking wrestling with me with a microphone on instead of us forty five minutes discussing an episode of eighty one Mid South. But uh, it was <laughs> it was fun talking with you, pal. As always, I don't think this will be the last time we hear you on WrestleZone Radio. Till Sunday when we're talking no mercy. I'm Matt Ryan. This has been WrestleZone Radio. Thank you, and well, you're welcome.